0: Well, good morning. 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 Welcome to West Meadows this morning. It's great to see so many uh, faces that uh, perhaps I haven't seen too much over the summertime, but also some new faces today as well. We uh, are glad to have you with us on our kickoff Sunday. This is a bit different than past kickoffs we've had. As we know, I'm not going to replay the challenges of the world in which we live. We know there's some differences, but we are still moving forward as a church to help people experience new life with Jesus in the best and most effective ways possible, and that starts with our fall ministry season that we are kicking off today. So, welcome. Welcome to West Meadows today and to our fall kickoff. For a lot of churches, this is a moment, a, a Sunday or around the time of year, when they hold what's referred to as a, a back-to-church Sunday. Everyone ever heard of that phrase before, back-to-church Sunday? It's quite a large mo- movement. I actually had a friend uh, in Manchester, England, I met about 15 years ago, who started the, the Back to Church movement. And, and he had a mission that in 10 years, they were, he was going to travel the world and encourage churches and, and existing churches and church leaders to invite a million people back to church on Back to Church Sunday. Uh, and he hit that goal about nine years into his mission. Uh, and since then, it's become a big movement down in the States and a bit up here in Canada as well. But anyways, this is Back to Church time of year. Now, when we think about that, when we hear the word church, we think certain things. Some people may even feel certain things when we hear the word church, because there are ideas, but there are also emotions that are attached to that word. You may think initially, or some people may think initially of a building when they hear the word church. And it's a place that you would go to. And, and sure enough, many churches do have buildings. And in fact, there was one time in history where when a town would build a church, they would build it at the highest point, and it would be the highest building in the entire town. It was the center. It was like a central institution of the community. Today, we know that's not necessarily the case. That for some people, they don't have that same significance, that same position. For some people, they hear the word church, and they think about a people. And this is scripturally accurate. It's the calling together. It's the body of God under the headship of Jesus. And when they think of the church, they think of the body of Christ. It's central to their faith. It's a place where they have a sense of belonging and relationship but then we also know that when people think of the church as a people, and this has been one of the highlights of the past summer in particular, that it brings about hurts, ideas of hurts. We, we think just simply of residential schools and how people sometimes are very guarded and leery of the people of church because of those sorts of things. People hear the word church and they sometimes think about a service. It's a religious ceremony that we attend. It's something we participate in or something that you might sleep through. I know who you are, the sleepers. I have a, I, I see all, I don't respond all, but I, I see the sleepers sometimes. It's a place that you might attend or you might go for a nap, right? But I remember talking to unchurched people over the years i have been a pastor, and one lady stands out for me in particular when I asked her, well, how'd you find the service? How, what about the singing? And her response back to me was, I, I don't know why you spend so much time chanting. And she used the word chanting. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, what about the, when we had a time of prayer? And her question was, well, who are you talking to? And there's this idea that some of us attend a service when we think about church. Other people have no concept of it being a religious ceremony that takes place. Now, I don't know what you think of or what you might feel when you hear the word church. Maybe it's something about a building or a people or a service. Each of us will think and feel something. But this is actually a question that I've been trying to process a bit over the last few months over the summer. I've been thinking about this and and reading about it and listening to different podcasts and reading to different theologians and pastors and authors, authors. Just trying to answer the question, really, kind of what is the church? And what is, and the underlying reason is because what are we inviting people back to? Like, like, what are we actually inviting people to when we say, welcome back to church? So I want to share with you today a bit of how I think I've come to understand that answer. But in order for me to share with you kind of how we answer that question, what are we inviting people back to, we actually need to go back to the beginning. Back to the beginning when there was no building there was only a handful of people, and there certainly was not a people defined by a service. But you know what there was? What there was was a movement that was built upon an idea and an event in history. And I need you to track with me today and remember those three words. Can you say those three words with me? There was a movement, movement, let's try it one more time. There was a movement based upon an idea based upon an event. There is a movement based upon an idea and an event. And to explain what I mean by that, we need to walk through some church history today. And I think this will be helpful and, and hopefully interesting. So is it okay today if we go back to school a little bit? Anybody like, history class? Hopefully? No? Okay. Well, for those of you who like it, great. Those of you who don't, that's what I got planned. So, So... Hopefully we'll get through this for those who are not looking forward to church history. But I think it'll be quite interesting because we'll see an evolution of this movement based upon an idea and an event. You see, if we go back to the earliest New Testament writings, this word church that we use and find in our Bible comes from the word ecclesia. It's a Greek word, ecclesia, that essentially means an assembly or a gathering. It comes to also be referred to as a congregation. But this word ecclesia existed before the church. You see, it existed before the church because any time in this particular kind of ancient Near Eastern culture, any time a people gathered together for a political or a social issue, it was referred to as an ecclesia. For example, if there was a town who was concerned about the care of widows or if they were not happy about the price of bread, they would gather together at the town center, and they would talk about you know, disputes on taxes, or the announcements of new leaders, and they would talk about, hear about, and discuss this. They were an ecclesia, a gathering of people around a single idea and purpose. That's what the word ecclesia means before the church even existed. But then when Jesus inaugurated the church... It was a gathering of people around a single idea and an event. And eventually, the, the, the ecclesia word and the concept of church became synonymous. They all of a sudden started to become synonymous for each other because of the uh, emphasis upon which it had within society. And that's the way it was for about 300 years. The word ecclesia being understood this way was how it was understood for about 300 years. But then there came a time when the word changed. And it went from being a movement, you say, move, remember the word movement? It went from being a movement that moves to a location that is stationary. It went from being an idea that invites people, that, that calls people together, to being a, a, a location with a hierarchy that was centralized and controlled. It went from being a gathering about a simple event with a mission that was good news for all people to being about a really awful time in history, actually, that was bad news for a lot of people. You see, what happened was Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire and eventually in 300 AD came to Germany through the influence of the Roman Empire. And the word changed. It was no longer referred to as... Ecclesia was referred to as the assembly, and they came with this German word, which I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of. I apologize to any of our German-speaking people, but Kirch, which refers to, it's a word that means the Lord's house, and there's an English transliteration from this is where we get the word church from, an English transliteration of this word. Now, I'm a Taylor Seminary graduate. Any other NAB Taylor people here? I know we've got a bunch. Yep, there's good. Yep. And what do they teach us? we got our German roots, and so when you go to Taylor, you're taught that all good theologians are German, right? And you only study the German. No, you study more than the German ones. But you're told that all good theologians are German. i got to tell you, in this case, that may not be the truth. You see, the use of this word and the talk about the Lord's house was start to be a throwback to the Old Testament idea of a building, about the church being located in a building. And it may not have been intentional. It may not have been what they wanted to have happen, but what ended up happening when that took place is this idea that whoever controls the building controls the church. Whoever controls the church controls the scripture. Whoever controls the scripture controls the people, and in that time and age, whoever controls the people controls the government. A simple word, change. Massive implications. And we won't go through all of church history, but we know that this led to a terrible time in church history. An absolutely difficult time, in part because of the misunderstanding of the word church. And over the centuries, as this took hold, it led to a steady rise in abuses and corruption and events such as the Crusades. To this very day. There are some people who will still have nothing to do with a back-to-church Sunday because of these issues. Because it leads to a lack of trust. And some people would even say the church historically has been an agent of evil, which is, which is hard to hear. But that's how some people view it. But for example, I remember I've run Alpha for probably 12 years now. I remember early on, there was one lady that was very, very curious about Jesus, just had so many questions and wanted to know more about Jesus. So we invited her to Alpha, and she wanted to come, but she would not step foot in a church. I want to know about Jesus. I want to have my questions answered. I want to experience this love and this forgiveness I hear about, but I will not step foot in a church. So we held Alpha in her home. I remember about 10 years ago, I did a sermon series on the armor of God, and the graphics that we used had a, had a warrior in a suit of armor. And I received emails and phone calls from people in the church who were furious that it had some allusion to the Crusades, which it, 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 it didn't. It wasn't intended to, but that was, uh, that was a nerve that it hit for them. This, this may not be things that strike a nerve with you, but it's stuff that's out there. It's stuff that happens in the unchurch, but also in the people within the church. And it's, and it's not... Was intended. It's a far cry from the ecclesia, which was a gathering of people around a simple idea and event. Well, eventually around 1500, the Reformation took place, which was a religious and political challenge to the church system that existed, a, relig- a religious and political challenge to the errors, the abuses, the discrepancies that were happening within the church. And amongst this time, one of the leaders of the Reformation was an English literary scholar by the name of William Tyndale. There he is. You've heard of of Tyndale before, probably? Yeah. There he is. He's a handsome fellow. Say hello, William. There he is. Now, he was one of the leaders of this time. And in his day, only a few people were able to actually have and read a Bible. Not because they were illiterate. There definitely was a high illiterate rate than there is today. But that wasn't the reason. The reason was the Bible primarily was written in Latin. And only the priest was able to read Latin, and so people would go to church to hear the priest read and interpret the Bible for them. That's sometimes if you go to an old cathedral or an old church, you'll see things like, like beautiful stained glass windows and, and painted ceilings and walls. That wasn't just done to, uh, for, as a form of worship and beautification. That was also done as a way of storytelling. You see, people who went to church when those were built were not able to read the Bible for themselves, and so they would see these these biblical stories painted on the walls and on the windows, and it would remind them of what they had heard. It was a way of, of helping people who didn't have the Word of God themselves. It wasn't just about beautification. But Tyndale had this purpose. He wanted the average person to have access to the Bible, and in this case, being an Englishman in the English language. And so he sought out to start translating the Bible into English, and the church was not happy about that because it was a threat to them and to their control over the people. And so he fled for his life, and he fled to Germany. And he met a guy in Germany by the name of Gutenberg. Anybody remember maybe what Gutenberg invented around 1500? The printing press. What a a pair. A man from England who wants to translate the Bible into English but is chased out of his country meets a man in Germany who has a printing press. Well, you can see what happened here. And they started producing copies of the Bible that they smuggled back into England. And for the first time, people had their first affordable personal copy of the Bible in their own hands, in their own heart language. Now, this past Friday, we had the privilege here at West Meadows of hosting a gala for the Canadian Bible Society, who is celebrating their 100th anniversary. And this is an organization for a century now, has committed themselves to translating the Word of God into people's heart languages. And they have a current mission to continue doing this throughout the nation of Canada as they reach into the First Nations peoples to translate the Word of God into those languages. It's a beautiful thing, and it's at the heart of what Tyndale was trying to do here as well. But Tyndale was betrayed by a friend and taken back to England where he was tried as a heretic and an enemy of the state. And when he was questioned at his trial by the religious leaders and the politicians who were in authority at that time, he famously said this. He said, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth a plow to know more about the scriptures than thou dost. Which didn't help his case when he was in court. (laughs) Didn't like that. They found him guilty. They hung him. They burned his body. But it was too late. Why? Because the word was literally out. And here's one thing that really enraged them. There's something that really enraged these people when they, when they knew that he was translating the Bible into English and giving it back to the people is that when he got to the word Ecclesia in the Bible, he didn't translate it church. He translated it Congregation. In the Tyndale version of the Bible, every time you come across the word Ecclesia, he translated it, not church, but congregation. It was an attempt to return back to the gathering of God's people based upon what it was started. A growing, multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement that was built upon an idea based upon an event. And you know what, folks? That's exactly in line with how Jesus intended it to be. Because the very first person in Scripture to use the word Ecclesia was Jesus. And we see this in Matthew 16. We're near the end of Jesus' ministry. He calls his disciples together. And he asks them this. He started the conversation by saying to them, Who do people say that I am? Like, what's, what's the word on the street about Jesus? What are people saying about me? And the answer to him, well, quite honestly, Jesus, people are divided. There are some who look at your miracles and they look at your teachings and they think he must be a prophet of old who has come back somehow. And there's this other group who thinks that you're John the Baptist, which is confusing because he was around the same time and then he died. So we're not sure how that works. But some people are saying that. Other people just don't know. But Jesus knew what the word on the street was about who he was. And that wasn't his primary question. He got to that next. When he asked them this, he said, you guys have been with me. For all of these months you've seen the miracles you've heard the teachings you've experienced me personally who do you say that I am I imagine I got quiet for a little while because that's a big question we just got to let that question hang for a second because Jesus asked his disciples that as I sat around talking about it that night. But isn't that the same question that everybody has to eventually answer? Who do you say I am? Was the question he asked his followers. But then Peter breaks the silence and he shares an idea that they all had in mind. And it's this in verse 16, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And having answered that correctly, Jesus affirms the statement, and then he declares in verse 17 and 18, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, upon this foundational idea, upon this foundational statement, I will build my ecclesia, he said. I will build my ecclesia in the gates of Hades, or better yet, the gates of death. Not even death. We'll be able to overcome it. The church was birthed around the idea that Jesus was the savior of the world, And a short time later, that idea would come to fruition in an event, in the event when Jesus would be arrested and tried and crucified. He was killed. Now, in the way that we understand things, in the world that we live, we would think that the death of Jesus would equal the death of the idea, but that death actually became the momentum of the moment. The moment of momentum. You know why? Because all of us have the same problem. Because all of us fall short of God's glory, and all of us have sinned. And because of that, we cannot be in relationship with God, because because God is perfectly holy and righteous and he just can't ignore our sinfulness if if he ignored it he would be devaluing it if he ignored our sinfulness he would say it doesn't matter you hurt each other if he ignored it he would say it doesn't matter you violated my commands but he can't do that because he is holy and perfect and just he can't ignore our sins and it separates us from him but he takes them seriously Serious enough that from the very beginning we read that the punishment for sin was death, this, this spiritual separation from God. And folks, we can give all we have. We can give our very lives to our last breath and we will still fall short of paying the price for our sins but praise God he himself came in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to be the perfect to be the innocent offering to pay the price for our sins and when he died upon the cross the wrath of God was placed upon him and God was satisfied with that offering in our place and because of that he offers to us the ability to be identified with him in his death as payment for our sins a payment we cannot make on our own but the story doesn't end in the grave Because yes, we can be identified in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But praise God as well that God raised him to life. And we can also be identified in his victory too. In John 14, 19, Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. You also will have new life now and new life in all of eternity. Amen? Can you feel the momentum of the moment building? This is the momentum of the moment that took place. And to the shock of all of his followers, all of his disciples, to their dismay a little bit too, but to their utter joy, he appeared to them. He appeared to them and to hundreds of others to prove that he was alive. And then 40 days later, he gathered them on a hillside, and he gave them their final instructions that we read about in Matthew 18 and in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, these final instructions he gave, he says the disciples gathered around him, and then they asked him, Lord, is it time? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I still didn't understand. This is old thinking. This was thinking that would emerge later in history again. This is, this is old thinking. This is that centralized, political, religious thinking about a city and a temple. Lord, are you going to reestablish your kingdom? Are you going to set up your rule in Jerusalem? And then we will have power and rule over the nations with you centralized out of Jerusalem. Is this the time, Jesus? Jesus? His response to them was, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons of such things, but you will receive power. You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit descends upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power, but not the power you think. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which I promised to you. It's going to empower you to be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? Witnesses are people who truthfully testify to something that they have experienced. Witnesses are people who accurately represent an event that took place. And they would have the power of the Holy Spirit upon them that they could go forth and be witnesses of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will empower you, John 15 and 16. He will empower you to recall all that I have taught you and all that you've experienced with me. You'll be my witnesses of these things. It will empower you to live according to my commands and as representatives of me in the world so that people may know me through you. There's only a hundred of them or so gathered at this point and they're thinking to themselves, okay, we can witness in Jerusalem. So hundred of us. We can handle that. Judea. Well, we gain a few more people, a little bit of time. We can cover Judea, Samaria. We don't like Samaria. Don't, I'm not sure. We'll, go, well, we'll leave it on the list for now, Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not sure about Samaria. But the whole world. Jesus, do you know how big the whole world is? And he's thinking, you guys don't even know how big the whole world is at <laughs> this point. But guys... Movements move. This is a movement, and movements move. It moves from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It is a growing, multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement with a simple idea based upon an event. The idea and the event being this, that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior of all people. And the rest of Acts 2 and beyond, we read that that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did. They went back to Jerusalem, and they gathered in a room, and they prayed. And while they were praying, the Holy Spirit in this, this rush, this, this violent, noisy rush of wind came through and descended upon them and empowered them to speak in all sorts of different languages, praising God and proclaiming the truth as witnesses to who he is. It's important to notice that this happened at the time of Pentecost, because that means that dozen or more people from a dozen or more regions had gathered together. These thousands of people from a dozen or more regions had gathered together in Jerusalem for this time of celebration. And they brought with them their own cultures and their, their own languages. And when they hear this noise and this commotion and these words being spoken in a tongue that they hadn't heard for many days because it was their own native tongue that didn't exist in this town, what happened? They heard this noise they heard it in their own language. They had questions that needed to be answered. So what did they do? They assembled. They assembled outside the room. And Peter opens the door. And what does Peter see? Peter sees an ecclesia. Peter sees a group of people, thousands of people, who have gathered together outside the door for a purpose. And he preaches to them. And he preaches them an idea based upon an event. Beginning with reminding them of the prophecies that the Old Testament prophets had spoken of. About how Messiah would come one day. And the things that he would do and where he would be from. And then he points them to the miracles and to the signs that Jesus did. And then he connects the dots between these. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 32, he says this to the crowd. God raised this Jesus to life. And we are what? We are witnesses of it. And exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured that out. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you're experiencing. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, event, both Lord and Messiah, the idea. And these people knew Jesus. Like Jesus wasn't just some small time figure. People knew who he was many people there who had probably seen him or the years of his ministry and mind you this is only two months after his death and resurrection and they knew the uproar in the city over the fact that the body was missing they knew the religious leaders couldn't keep down the talk of what had happened nobody in this moment denies that this has taken place but for the first time their eyes are open to the truth for the first time, it deeply impacts them as the dots are connected. In verse 37, it says, they were cut to their hearts. And so they asked Peter, what should we do, Peter? What do we do? And he said, go to church. No, he didn't say, he didn't say go to church. So often, that's the answer we give people, though, isn't it? Go to church. Let the pastor be the one who... Shares the idea of the event. Nothing wrong with going to church. I just want to suggest to you that's not the answer Peter gave, nor perhaps the answer as witnesses of things that we should necessarily give. No, as Peter did, he invited them to believe in an idea and to join the movement. Verse 38, Peter replied to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, whom the Lord will call. And that day, 3,000 people responded and were baptized. And they stepped into the momentum of the moment. And that phrase, all who are far off, refers to those who, in the days, in the weeks, in the months ahead, would continue to hear. About this idea based upon an event that these people were witnessing to. And then the church would continue to grow. And the church would continue to spread. And it goes all the way down to this very day. Where you folks, ladies and gentlemen, who are watching online and those who are joining us on site here, are fulfillment of this prophecy as well. Because you are counted amongst those who are all those who are far off who have yet to hear the witness of Jesus Christ. It also extends beyond us. Extends beyond us into this fall ministry season of all of those who will respond based upon your witnesses of what you know, what you have experienced, of the idea and the event of who Jesus is. So, do churches have buildings? Yeah, most do. But let's not worship the building. Do most churches have a gathering of people? Absolutely. It's a biblical understanding of the church. It is a gathering of people. But let's not become insular, centralized as a people. Do churches hold services? Oh, praise God they do. It's so wonderful to come together regularly on Sunday morning and other times during the week to come together for a worship service. But let's not solely be defined by coming together on a Sunday. Because these tend to be the areas, if you think about it, where actually we find division. Where we find one church emphasizing over another church. Where we find areas of what we won't tolerate within our church. But not only amongst people outside the church, within people within the church as well. You know, recently, Barner Research held a state of the church event. And they asked unchurched people, what do you think of when you hear the word Church. of respondents said that the church is known more for what they are against than for what they're for. A third of people responded and said, I think the church has become irrelevant to our lives. And a similar amount said, the church has become detached from the real issues of life and community. That's what they think of when they hear the word church. But above all, I want to suggest to you that there's one factor that binds all followers in all churches of all times and all places together. And it's this. It's a movement based upon an idea and an event. Just make sure you're tracking with me here. It is based upon and say an idea. It is based upon an idea. Idea. And what is that idea? The idea about who Jesus is. And i got to tell you, that idea is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it will continue to be relevant for many more years to come. The idea of who Jesus is. That the concept that he offers new life because of the event that made him Lord and Savior speaks to the fact that he is relevant in the daily issues of our lives and of people and their communities. Why? Because of his grace, truth, and love. He proves that he is not against people. He proves that he is not against them, that he loves them, that he is for them, to the point of which he would be willing to die for them and send his followers into the world to be witnesses of this, to the ends of the earth. It is the momentum of the moment that began 2,000 years ago. It is still going on and is happening here today still. Amen? And so when we consider that we welcome ourselves and others back into this fall church season. We are not just participating in the building or in a people or in a service, but we are part of a movement, and I hope that builds some excitement in you, to think that you are part of a movement that has been going on for 2,000 years, and it has included billions of people, and there are room for billions more. And Jesus promised that absolutely nothing, not even death, will be able to stop the momentum of that moment. And that nothing could stop it. Nothing could stop people coming to know and to accept that he is the Messiah and finding new life in him. And so as we enter into this fall season, there are challenges in our lives. Absolutely. There are challenges that exist in our community and in our world. But I invite you this fall to join me in protecting our unity as a body. To not allow the differences in opinions, to allow the differences in perceptions, to allow the things of this world to divide us from the unity that we are called to as a body. I invite you to join me this fall in continuing to grow and to know more about Jesus Christ, to do so by getting involved in a Bible study, by joining a teaching group, by joining a life group. Now many of these are going to be online. We've made the decision as church leaders for the safety and for the unity of the body to move most of these ministries to online. But here's the good news. About half of you are online still, so that's not unusual to you. The rest of you, do not allow the momentum to stop simply because we have things online. Press into that. Keep going with the momentum and join a group that is online. I invite you to join me in finding your space and your place. We haven't talked about this for a little while, but what a blessing it is to have a space in your calendar, a space, a physical space in your life. Maybe it's a chair in a bedroom, a chair in your office, the, the seat of your car as you drive to work, that space that is carved out where you spend time finding your place in God's story through reading His Word and through prayer. Find your space and your place in personal devotion in prayer time. I invite you to that as well. And if you are not a follower of Jesus currently, I invite you to hear the good news. The good news is this, that Jesus loves you. That he died for you to pay the price for your sins so that he could welcome you into the family of God, to bring you into the Ecclesia. If you need more about that, join Alpha. Ask your questions. Hear more about who Jesus is and the difference he makes in your life. If you need to know more about that, talk to myself or Pastor Andrew. Come and take that step of faith to repent and believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Welcome to the ecclesia of our fall ministry season. Welcome to the continued movement that has momentum based upon that moment. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we start this time, as we come into the season of so many new opportunities for us to grow in our knowledge of you, I pray, God, that you would lead each person to what is needed in their lives. Lord, if it is simply right now a prayer of confession that they have wandered or become a little, a little removed from growing themselves in their faith over the past summer, over the past year, God, I pray that the spirit that is among us and within us right now would just convict us of that and that we would say, yes, I need to be part of the movement that is moving forward in my own life. Lord, if there are people in our lives that we have failed to share your love and truth with, God, I pray that we would be faithful witnesses to them, witnesses of your grace, truth, and love, and that we would invite them, yes, maybe to come to church, but not just to church, but to come to understand and to embrace the idea based upon the event that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior of the world. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for loving us so much to pay such a price that we could come to be in fellowship with you. I pray that we would never get old of hearing that. It would never get stale and that we would continue to grow and understand what that looks like in our lives and the lives of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.